Welcome to The Eight, everyone. Welcome to part five of our series titled The Author of Life. You know what's a word that you and I hate? It's a nasty word. A nasty word that you and I hate. The word is discipline. You and I hate this word. I heard a nice analogy of, of, of thinking about the word discipline. Have you guys experienced like a friend coming that maybe like you don't really want that friend to come or visit or to call you, but once that person comes, and maybe you're not a biggest fan of that person, but once they leave, you're so grateful that they came. Have you ever experienced that? There's a friend that maybe you don't really care about seeing or you really don't want him to come. But after he left or she left, you're grateful that that person came. Discipline is almost the same thing. We hate it. It's a nasty word. But if we're honest with ourselves, it is like it's something that we need in every aspect of our life. You and I hate to exercise or to eat right. But like we know that it involves the virtue of discipline. There's certain outcomes that we want. Like if I ask you, what are your dreams? Like what, there's certain outcomes that you want, maybe for your personal life, your physical health, your marital health, your financial health. You have certain dreams in mind that you want to accomplish. But it requires certain steps in order to reach that outcome. Let me just state, this is something you and I know, and let me just state the obvious just for us to move forward today. A motive is unrelated to an outcome. You might be motivated. You know what? I am, I, I'm going to do this. Enough is enough. I am going to set boundaries when it comes to work. I am going to come home early. I, I'm, you, you're motivated. A motive is unrelated to an outcome. You might have the right motivation and the right intention, but it's unrelated to the outcome. Did you know that in the Coptic Orthodox Church, in the wedding ceremony, there are no vows? The, the bride and groom, it, it's the weird. In high school, I used to be, work for a, video, a videography company. And we would film videos, uh, film uh, weddings. And then uh, my boss, uh, we were filming a Coptic wedding. And I'll tell him, we don't need to mic the bride and groom, actually. <laughs> They're like, what? It's their wedding and they don't say anything? I'm like, yeah. But that's on purpose. And why in the Orthodox Church, the bride and groom don't say anything? If we understand that motive is unrelated to outcome, vows, promises are unrelated to outcome. You, I, if I can tell my wife... I, I don't even know the thing. I just know it from like shows and movies. Like, I love you till, uh, uh, you know, till death souls part, through sickness and health. And so words are cheap. Like, with all respect to that tradition, with all respect to that tradition that exists in certain reformed churches, which is totally fine. But why has that not existed in the early centuries of Christianity? Because words are cheap, right? I can say it. I might be motivated. I might say the promise. But it is unrelated to outcome, Right? Think of it for every vow that's said. Does that help them when, when, when marriage gets tough for them to, to, to stay faithful or loyal or to invest in their marriage? Motive is unrelated to outcome. Your attitude is unrelated to outcome. You, if, if, your motive, if your motive is unrelated to outcome, your attitude is unrelated to, to outcome. I'm so optimistic. I'm so hopeful. Like, I, I know this is going to happen. I, I, I know that I'm going to be a more present father, a more present husband. I am going to set boundaries where I am going to be. You know what? I'm, I'm so pumped that I'm going to have better financial skills in order to have better, uh, to manage my, my finances better. I could be, have the best attitude. I can be so motivated and so pumped. And I can say promises until I'm blue in the face. But it is unrelated to outcome. I can say I believe, but it's not enough. You and I are are invited to follow. This has been our theme of this series. Jesus told anyone who is curious of him, he did not just tell them to believe, 
but he told them to take the next step after believing, which involves to follow. You and I, hopefully you've experienced this. When discipline, it's annoying in the beginning, like, ugh, and, and we're just in a bitter mood, and everyone, no one wants to be around us because we're, we're trying to push that virtue of discipline in some aspect of our life. In the beginning, it's I ought to do this. Eventually, it becomes I want to. Like, for, for those who really get into the zone of, of exercising, I know Carlo's big into that. Just, sorry, I saw you. That just made me think. In the beginning, you're just like, I, you know what, I ought to. But after a while, you're like, I want to. I want to go work out. And you feel like something is missing. Your endurance then becomes enjoyment. Progress. Raise your hand if you want progress. Everyone wants progress. But discipline is the prerequisite to make progression. Like, we always want to improve in some aspect of life. But discipline is the precursor, it's the prerequisite in order for there to be progress. But you know what's going to, if you really expand upon discipline, you know why you and I think it's a nasty word and why we hate the word discipline? And you probably like, man, I probably came at the wrong Sunday for the eight. I don't want to hear about discipline. You know why, really, when it comes down to it, you know why we don't like it that much? Yes, we kind of agree, but why we really don't like to talk about it or actually really like to do it? Because it requires delayed gratification. Delayed gratification, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if tomorrow morning I go to the gym and I look, man, I'm so happy that I went to work out today. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be great if you, if you go get a salad today after church and you're like, I'm so thankful I ate that salad. You're not going to do that. It requires delayed gratification. We hate that. We hate delayed gratification. We want everything right now, right? Think about it. Think something's not opening on my phone right now, turn it off and on. Refresh. Turn off the Wi-Fi. We want everything now. We want gratification now. I uploaded that picture. It's been 14 seconds and no one has liked it yet. We want, we want gratification right now. Discipline involves delayed gratification. And you and I hate that. You and I hate that. Like I said, we're in this series titled The Author of Life. And the, the entire, what's motivated me for us to, to spend six weeks on this topic? Because you and I, I, at least for me, I'm sure you've come across, where people would come to you and says, yeah, I, I don't know if I believe that anymore. Yeah, I, I used to believe that when, when I we used to go to kids camp and you did the whole church and Sundays, but I don't think I believe that anymore. You and I hear people say that all the time. Why? Because we tell them that faith is just a button. You need to have faith. You need to believe. You need to believe. You need to believe. But we do not equip them on how to work out that muscle. It is a muscle in which we have to grow. Don't take my words. Take the words that we just prayed in the ancient liturgical prayer this morning, which is written by St. Gregory, the theologian. He said this in the year 380 AD. He made this prayer. He said it this way. May the righteousness of faith grow. You and I want faith in something bigger than ourselves. For many of us, it involves trusting the God-man. But we think it's just, yeah, I believe. If it just settles with a button, yeah, I believe, this will fade. This will deteriorate. This will go nowhere. That's like me saying, yeah, you know, I should have a salad after, after, uh, after uh, uh, church. I don't want you to feel guilty, by the way, on what you eat today. I'm just, it's an example. Yeah, I should work out. I should work out. It, it, then what? I can be motivated. I can say the right thing. I can believe it's the right thing. But if it's not acting, uh, if I'm not acting on it, then what? What would you do? And this has been the central question that's been driving this. What would you do if Jesus is legit? What would you do if someone predicted his own death 
overcame death, and tons of skeptics, dozens, hundreds of skeptics, witnessed it and recorded about it and changed, radicalized world history. What would that change for you and me? Is it just faith? Yeah, I believe. Or maybe there's something more out of it for us. Another way to put it. What facilitates the development of active, enduring faith? Let's not, let's not settle for, do you believe and do I have faith? Uh-uh. That, that's out the door after fourth grade. After that, this, this has to be the driving question for you and me. What facilitates the development for me to have an active, dynamic, enduring faith? Something that's applicable to the hardship that awaits you this evening. Or what, how do you build a dynamic, dynamic, active, enduring faith which is applicable to work tomorrow? How do you build an active faith for you to deal with this issue in this relationship or in, in your kids or so forth and so on? How do we build a dynamic faith that becomes applicable and tangible and real and, and real-life hardship and, and trials and tribulations? How do, we, how do we build the bedrock of faith that is built on that as opposed to just pressing a button saying, yeah, I have faith. But then when things come, when hardship comes, we're like, well, actually, I don't know if I believe that anymore. This has what's been driving this entire conversation. And we've been looking at the early Christians. Like the beauty of our ancient faith is that we can look at the early Christians, the early followers of Christ, who had tons of hardship and uncertainty and stress and anxiety in the same way we do. And we look, how did they cope with that? How did they struggle through that? How did they push through, through that? And this is why we pray these words in every liturgy. We share in the commemoration of the saints. We share in commemorating them, not just be like, oh, yeah, Sam Moses is strong. He was nice. Yeah, Sam Mina, he was nice. Central. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, we should and just kiss the icon on it. No. Yes, we honor them. We venerate them. We venerate their icons and who they were and their relics. But it's not just that. We share in commemorating their hardships, their pain, their struggle. We commemorate them of how they endured in their active faith, how they pushed through and building this dynamic muscle of faith. Five catalysts. These are the five ingredients needed in order to prevent us to just say, uh, yeah, I have faith. But if it's static, this will fade. But we're looking at five catalysts. Obviously, it could, it, the list could be a lot bigger, but I'm just looking at five fundamentals, five things that if we build ourselves on these five exercises, this is what can build an enduring faith within us. And the first one we looked at several weeks ago, which is hear and act. That if I just hear timeless truth from God, from Jesus, if I just hear it, yeah, it's a nice story. But once I act and execute and apply on it, this is where there's life. This is why in every liturgical prayer, before we read the gospel, we, we, we make it very clear. Saying, make sure, God, we're praying for us not only to be hearers, but to act according to your words, which gives us life. That's catalyst number one. And this is what becomes applicable in our own personal growth. When you and I sit with God in quiet time, which we'll get to later. If I just read and just like, okay, cool, and that's it. it, it it's as if me going to the gym. Okay, that, that, that's where the bench, I don't, I, the, I don't know the name of the stuff. But like, the, oh, there's the bench thing. There's like the ab thing. Uh, and I just look at it and that's it. If I just look at it, then what? Don't laugh at me. I'm, just, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't mean to put you on the Cast number two, serving. So I need to hear and then I need to act. And the, the second thing is I need to serve. You and I are here. It's because someone said yes to serving. 
Someone says, you know what, I don't think I'm really qualified for this, but you know what, let me give this a shot. Let me give to God what belongs to him. Let me give the, the little gifts and personality and resources that I have, let me give this. Because you said yes to that, you, because they said yes to that, you are here. You do not know what hangs in the balance for you to say, you know what, I'll pass on serving. It's not for me. Maybe that's for somebody else. I'm not ready yet. Or, yeah, maybe th there's, it's, it's fine. It's totally respectful if maybe you're not in a season right now. But are we moving ourselves in our direction to give of ourselves to serve in whatever capacity? You do not know what hangs in the balance for your legacy and for generations to come by saying, yes, this is a catalyst which builds an enduring faith. Catalyst number three edifying friendships. We just looked at it from a sociological perspective that you and I are the average of our five closest friends. This is just from, from the Department of so uh, Sociology, Study of Sociology. So uh, if we are investing in friendships and relationships which sharpen us, would edify us, convict us, this is how we build the muscle, right? Like I was just, I was just, uh, I, I saw my uncle the other day and he was telling me he just works out at home and he doesn't go to the gym. I was like, I feel like I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated to, to work out, period. But he's saying he's motivated. Like, I was like, I can't be motivated to just work out at home. I need to see other people working out, like, to, 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 to get him going. This is, we're built like this. Like, you understand this in life. This is a science thing because the founder of science embedded this into every fabric of humanity. God did not just create Adam and says, perfect, this is very good. No, he made him a relational being. We are, we are designed to be in community. If we think we can push past that, please. If you, that's as if me saying, you know what, I think I'm going to walk on my hands from now on. You're going against science to think that I do not, my friends, they only hurt me, and I don't, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing with, with God, and, but I don't need to, I'm just going to run after church, run after the aid. I don't need to talk to anybody. You're going against science. You try to convince yourself of that, but you're going against science and the founder of science to think, I don't need anybody. They only brings drama and gossip and pain. Uh-uh. But are we investing and edifying friendships? Catalyst number four out of five today is a personal canon. It is not this, and it is not this. Make that super clear. A personal canon. By the way, I was trying to look for a picture. I was like, I know people are going to think I'm talking about like a cannonball. So let me just Google canon. And then I realized, oh, yeah, there's a, there's, a brand, there's a camera, too, called canon. So I put both pictures. So I don't want you to think that I'm talking about this canon or this canon. So what canon I'm talking about is actually this canon. And I think the Arabic, I think it's kanun. But this, okay, good, I'm good. So kanun. So this Arabic word, it's actually a, a, a Greek word. The canons of the church, let me just uh, bore you for 30 seconds on some uh, uh, church uh, history for a second. The canons of the church are standards or codes that guides us toward life. This is what canons do. They're, they're, uh, they guide us. That's what canons do. They, they guide us. They're not laws. Yes, we, sometimes you would see, like in seminary, they called it canon law. There's nothing wrong with that. But you, when you and I hear law, we think it's very dry, legalistic. But canons... Canons of the church is what guides us as far as do this, don't do this. It is not legalistic. I want to jump and do jumping jacks for make sure it's clear. It's not legalism. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Canons. This is why the church says these are not laws. These are canons. And many of the canons came from the ecumenical councils uh, and, and, and from the early church fathers as far as they guide us. You know what? Maybe you should modify your diet on Wednesdays. Maybe you modify your diet on Fridays. So forth and so on. These are canons of the church. And actually, if you look at the etymology of the word canon, 
which is what's shown here. This is what a cannon is or a canoon is. So this is a rod to measure various things, including measuring water in river. So a, a canoon, you put something in, you would put this rod in the water and determine the, 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 where the water is. I don't know anything about agriculture and, and working out, but I'm just, uh, I'm just sharing wh what I know. So it helps you measure where the water is in the river. So this cannon helps you guide what you need to do for the land. If it's fertile, if it's dry, if you need to whatever, like you determine what to do, you look at this rod. In the same way, the canons of the church is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. I'm going to say until I'm blue in the face. It's to guide us. It's holding our hand. It helps us measure what do we need to do to the soil within us for it to be fertile, for it to produce fruit. So the canons of the church, which is pre-denominational, which has existed from the early centuries, is there to guide us. These are the canons of the church. Yes, this, this exists in an ecclesiastical or ecumenical view. Like what I mean is by, like, from a church perspective, there are canons. From the councils, there are canons to guide of how to manage remarriage, uh, hardships, uh, conflicts, personal, uh, uh, things like that. There's different canons for different things. And by the way, this is interesting for me, maybe very boring for you, so I'm just going to stop. Like in the Holy Synod, when there's the gatherings of the bishops, there is a canonist that usually helps guide the, the, the synod on how to, how to, like if there's a, a canon from the year 280 about how to resolve XYZ problem, the canonist tries to capture the spirit to see how has it become applicable to you today. So th this is why there's people, th their job is, is they're a canonist. That, that's their job. They, they, they look and study the canons of the church and apply it in, in the church in the 21st century. So this is what a canonist is. They're super cool, uh, but very nerdy, but I like it. What is your personal canon? This catalyst is critical. All five of these catalysts are critical, but I want to make a big deal about this, and I'll explain why. Your personal canon is your structure, your rhythm to your time with God. Like, how are you finding edification and personal time and your investment toward the author of life? Are you making that investment toward the author of life personally? What's your personal structure and rhythm to you personally for, for you to grow? Is it just Sunday? I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty. Believe me. Is it just Sunday? Is it just, you know, I, I'll come in, I doubt every Sunday, that's a little too much, that's the day I like to sleep in. Every other Sunday, you know, maybe I'll just, uh, and, 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 and that's it? What's your personal canon, your code, your standard, your, to help you measure to, for you to grow personally as a man or woman of God? It is something that you pre-decide. You, like, just the, the psychology, your success tomorrow is determined by today. Your, your schedule tomorrow morning is determined by today. Like if you say, you know what, enough is enough. I always come with excuses. I always say I'm going to do it later in the day. You know what, I'm going to do it in the morning. And you say, you know what, I'm going to spend time with God in, in, in silence. And I'm going to journal. I'm going to pray. I'm going to whatever. You, your determination and focus and prioritizing that for tomorrow morning is determined tonight. So, so it's something you pre-decide as far as what your personal canon is. You don't wake up, at least I haven't met anybody that does this, and wake up and says, you know what, I think I'll go work out. You'll hardly ever see that. It's something that you decided before. It's something you pre-decide, and it becomes part of, of your lifestyle. You do this when it comes to, like, your bedtime routine or, or, or brushing your teeth. It becomes a rhythm. 
you, you, n- none of you remember this, but I see this right now with a four-year-old that lives with me. It's like, do I have to brush my teeth again? I just brushed it yesterday. Why do I have to brush it again? But then it becomes a subconscious rhythm to, hopefully God, I pray to God, it becomes a rhythm to our life. Then it just becomes a regular thing to who she is. And hopefully, I hope that's, that's the case for you too, but I, 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 that's, the, I, that's the case for, for my daughter. Instead of it just being, do I have to, then it becomes rhythmic. It becomes daily. And it's bringing, it's bringing edification to her oral hygiene, if you will. Nobody ever talks like that, but I'm just, <laughs> it's bringing edification to her oral hygiene. It's cleaning her mouth because she's being intentional about it. In the beginning, it's like, do I have to? Then it becomes rhythmic. She pre-decided. But do we do that on different aspects of our life? Do we pre-decide? Or is it just, if I have time? Listen, we're all busy. I promise you, I promise you. We're all busy. But we choose what to be busy with. I, I say that so many times because we live in a world that's going 100 miles per hour. Uh, but, we, 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 but we have a hard time saying no to things. To saying no to one thing, you're saying yes to another. Saying no to one thing, you're saying yes to another. I hate doing, I hate telling certain people no. But if I'm saying no to them, I'm saying yes to something else. But do you, do you do that in different aspects of your life? It's something you predecide as far as your personal canon, your own personal growth and quiet time with God. We have all met people who are super churchy, and I'm guilty of this for, for uh, growing up, where you know how to do the right thing as a deacon, as a servant, volunteer in the church. You're very churchy. You know, you know what to do at church, you know how to act at church, you know when the next service is, you know, you know it all, you know the ins and outs. You're very churchy. You and I have met people that are super churchy. But we also see in them that maybe they're not very Christ-like either. I hate to say that. Maybe they know how to do the whole church thing. But they're not very Christ-like. Do you know why? I'm not being judgmental. Many of them miss a personal canon. They know how to do communal services, communal gatherings, the whole Sunday school, liturgy, the eight, they can do that. But a personal canon, stillness, quietness, oneness with God, it's missing. Our second core value here at St. Mark Church, so our three core values here at St. Mark Church, come as you are, transcendent worship, and become the light. Transcendent worship. This is our description of it. Transcendent worship. Not just liturgical communal worship, but also personal worship points us to something so much bigger than ourselves. Our participation in the sacramental life is the foundation of our ancient faith and allows us to enter into a transformational life in Jesus. I remember before our very first service in church, and we're sitting there and with, with the church board, we're trying to figure out the wording and the language of our core values. What are they? How do we want to word it? And we were so, like, you know, intentional about every single word that's being used. And I remember the discussion. I made one big, big deal. I just know from personal experience, you can get lost in just liturgical communal gatherings, but completely lose sight of personal edification. So this is why I want to make, make a big deal the transcendent worship for us as, as, as followers of Jesus in the ancient faith involves communal and involves personal. It is liturgical, which, is, which means of the people, and it involves personal. Both have to go hand in hand. So, everyone with me so far? We good? Okay. Quickly, three components to a personal canon. Three, three components to a personal way for you to measure your own growth that, that's unique to you. First one is quiet time, quiet time. 
our men's group, <laughs> the men's group last Tuesday. And I get it. There was a discussion of, of like, you know, a lot of guys don't like the word quiet time. Like, but they like it, like, they like the word, like, we're reading this book, and, it, and it's saying, like, instead of calling it a quiet time, we should call it, like, time for us to prepare for war, to equip ourselves as men, like, time with God before we, and I was thinking, what, what I was talking about, I was like, oh, man, I need to change my, my, my sermon notes, because I wrote down quiet time, but call it whatever you want, you want to call it quiet time, you want to call, I don't care what you want to call it, but in the essence, I want you to understand the spirituality of what it is, quiet time is time with you and God alone. This is bye-bye. We are on Do Not Disturb. This is on Do Not Disturb. This is you in stillness, quietness. For this to, 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 to come off. I remember my spiritual father, I used to tell him, like, and, in about 0.3 seconds of quiet time, I, like, I remember I have something I have to do. So he told me what he does. He has a piece of paper next to him, and he write like, as things come to mind, I'm like, oh, I need to call this person, I need to text this person, whatever, that he just writes it on the notepad while he's doing his quiet time. He writes it down while he's doing his quiet time in order for him to stay focused and to have that time with God. Quiet time. Don't take my words. How did the God-man describe quiet time? This time of stillness and oneness with God. He said it this way. He says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is, who is unseen. It always blows my mind. When Jesus is giving the model prayer of the Lord's prayer, like, why do you have to describe the, uh, the, the ambiance of the place? I don't even know if that's the right word to use in this setting, but wh wh why do you have to describe the environment of where you're going to pray? Just pray. Like, wh wh why, why did Jesus have to pause and say, go to your room and close the door? Like, wh why are you making that such a big deal? But Jesus is making very intentional about uh, of how the environment of where you spend your quiet time is critical. So he makes that a big deal. I love this verse. I love this. Next, next example. When the news, so this is rec recorded by St. Luke, and he said this. When the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sicknesses. So St. Luke is recording the popularity of Jesus. Like, his, his, like everyone's going nuts about want, they're wanting to get more of Jesus and be around him. Maybe to see more supernatural events, whatever the case might be. Next verse is this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You're Jesus. People are coming to you for healing. And on top of that, you're only here for a limited amount of time. Like, you, you're only here for a matter of a, a few years. People are coming to you. And excuse me, you're being so mean and rude to them that, that St. Luke has wrote, he, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Can we be, I'm asking the question and don't answer it. Can we be in lonely places? Without being alone? It's hard. How do I embrace being in lonely, quiet places without being alone? Think of hundreds of people are coming to Jesus, and Jesus is the one that says, you know what, I have to, with I have to withdraw, and I have to, spend I have to do my quiet time. Why did Jesus make a big deal? It seems so disrespectful. Instead of him being task-oriented and doing, could be and going. No, he says, you know what? Because so many people are coming to me, this is why I need quiet time. It's, it's so counterintuitive to the way we think, right? We think, okay, well, this is just a busy season. Things will get better. 
things will get better. I, mean, I hate to put my spiritual father on the, on the spot, but it used to, he would tell me. I mean, his, wife, like his wife would say, okay, the, uh, you know, when are we going to spend more time? This is busy. Uh, you're, you're at church a lot. And he says, no, this, uh, like, uh, this is just a busy season, just a busy season. After Easter, after Christmas, after the fast. Huh? And it's always the next, the next, the next, the next. We do that, right? It's just a busy time. Once this, once this project comes, once this is settled, once I have enough money, what, what I want to say, get that promotion, so forth and so on. But because the demand was more on Jesus, this is what pushed him even more to withdraw. Another example. Our patron saint, St. Mark, recorded this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. When he prayed, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Think of the guilt. You're here with your quiet time. And someone texts you, where have you? I've been trying to reach you. You're not answering your phone. Here's the disciples of Jesus doing the same thing. But he went into a solitary place. So three components to a personal canon. The first one is quiet time. The second one, gentlemen, I, we struggle with this more, which is percentage giving. Percentage giving. This is one component of a personal canon which I want us to work on. First one is quiet time. The second one is a uh, percentage giving. Many of you have heard this verse before. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You and I know what we're going to eat. We don't have a problem with what am I going to eat. We don't have a problem with what am I going to drink. You know what? I don't have a problem with like what are we going to wear. We don't struggle with that as much. But make this equivalent to today. Am I ever going to get that job? Am I, am I going to have enough to, to, to pay for my kid's school? Am, am I going to have enough to retire? This is what Jesus is saying. Do not worry about how am I going to have enough to retire. Do not worry about am I, do I have enough to give to my kids. Do not worry about am I ever going to get that job. But seek first, prioritize the kingdom. Do you know why I'm making a big deal out of anything else? Three elements I'm asking for a personal canon. is quiet time and the second one being percentage giving. Do you know why, that's why I'm making a big deal about this? You trust God. You trust God about the tilt of the, of the earth, that it's at a certain angle. You trust God with that. You trust God that you will have enough oxygen in your lungs. You trust God with that. Yeah, I trust God that God will give me oxygen. Yes, I trust God about the angle of the tilt of the globe. Do you know why it's easy for you to trust God with that? Ain't nothing you could do about it. There's nothing you could do about the, uh, how much uh, oxygen is in the air. There's nothing you can do about the tilt. You trust God with that because you have no control. But do you know why it's harder to trust God with your finances? Because you have control over it. The biggest push for you to build an enduring, active, dynamic faith and a personal canon for your own personal edification is to choose a percentage and you give that. You choose a percentage and you give that. I, I, I have no issue talking about finances because this is what pulls us down. It's not, it's not about finances. This is a spiritual thing. This is not a financial thing. So it's easy to talk about. We can trust God with things which we have no control over. But when it comes to things that we have control over, this is where it's so hard for us to let go. Third one is communal worship. J 
Jesus said this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So Jesus is highlighting again that we are relational beings. We are communal beings. So he's saying if there are two or three gathered, they're edifying each other, growing together, pushing each other, convicting each other. I am there with them. I am there with them. So Jesus made a big point as far as that. I don't know if any, any I, I know it just started, but any, originally have you been seeing the Olympics? Any, any, any of the events so far? I think it's just been a couple of days. Okay, so I just saw a couple of highlights yesterday. It's lame, but I mean, it's nobody's fault. Like the arenas are empty. <laughs> I watched part of the opening ceremony, and I like wave, and I'm like, what are you waving at? Like, no, it was like, it, it, we are communal beings. Like something I'm so interested to say at the end of the Olympics is just how much slower some of the competitions were just because people are not motivated because the fans are not there, the athletes are not motivated. We are, this is how we are hardwired, and we're seeing this right in front of us play out in the Tokyo Olympics. We need to be around people. Like they had this cool thing of like a video. Sorry, I keep on going off tangent, but I thought it was cool. They had this video in the gymnastics. So like I saw someone Biles like waving at, his, at her parents like in the video because like that keeps her going. Is like just to see people she's familiar with. So we need that. It's not just an athletic thing. It, it, it's a human thing. We, we need communal worship for our own personal edification as well. St. Paul said it this way. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. It's like you are part of this active dynamic body. Regardless if you call yourself an individual and you're going to do your own thing and I don't need to go this Sunday, I don't need to spend quite, as much as you try to say that, you're part of a body. When we pray together, this is why, like to me, this is, this, is, this is a theological truth, but it's more true for me personally. I'm more engaged in communal worship when I see, when we're all loud. Today was awesome, by the way, because everyone was so engaged, and I love that. When we're rocking the church together and chanting all together, like this is what makes it powerful. But instead of us, um, and when we're sleeping, then I, it's hard to get into it. Like this, the, the, there, there's power in communal worship. This is why I make a big deal of us coming early to celebrate liturgy together, for us to partic participate together, to have communion as opposed to just taking communion as if it's a drive-thru. Your challenge. Sorry, I feel like I'm talking super fast because I'm just very passionate about today's talk. Three components to a personal canon. Quiet time. Build the virtue of stillness, quietness. Second virtue, second component of a personal canon. The percentage given. You choose the percent. And you say, you know what? I'm going to challenge God and me trusting him. I'm not going to wait until, well, once I get the promotion, once, no. You, you start with that, percentage given. And then communal worship. It's integral for us to come together as a body. This is not just an, a nice fluffy analogy. This is a reality. Think about it. Even liturgically, we pray, we believe, but we also pray, I believe. Both are needed. There has to be a relational communal component. There has to be a personal component as well. My challenge, my challenge for you and me is this. Offer your first minutes of the day. Offer your first dollars of your income. And offer the first day of the week. Deal? I promise you, if you're wanting to build an active, dynamic faith, it requires these three components and much more. But to simplify it and to make it something that in which we can act upon tonight, in order to prepare for tomorrow morning's quiet time, challenge yourself to offer the first minutes of the day, first dollars of your income, and the first day of the week.
Do you know why you should offer this? Because what you offer to God is not yours in the first place. We offer unto him what is his. If you've attended an ancient liturgical service here in the Orthodox Church, you have heard those words. We offer unto him what is his. Your time is not yours. Your career and your finances is not yours. Your time is not yours. But offer unto him what already belongs to him. Let's stand for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Our Heavenly Father, we all find an urge to just keep everything to ourselves. that we are, the, we are the owner and manager of our own time, our finances, everything, that we just want to keep it to ourselves and that we want to manage it ourselves. But Lord, help us to never lose sight and for us to have clarity that what we have belongs to you ultimately. And we are just renters, borrowers, and, and just stewards of what you have entrusted us to have. Lord, we live in a world that goes 100 miles per hour, and I am guilty of it, of always wanting to be task-oriented, and what's the next thing? But Lord, I pray that we can build this fourth catalyst for all of us, as a church family, and for those around us, those who are listening to this or watching this, for us to take this bold, courageous step, for us to give of what we have to you, and for us to find that virtue of stillness, of quietness, for us to spend time with our Heavenly Father. And we know that if we build this discipline, this personal canon, Lord, this is where we can find edification and life. And then our lens of how we look at our hardships and our uncertainties and stress, this is where all of that changes. Instead of us waiting to build this personal canon, when hardship comes, Lord, I pray that we can build the rhythm and momentum from now, from tomorrow morning, to build that within us. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys. We'll finish up the series next Sunday.